Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. It's incumbent upon me as one of the pastors in this church to talk about money. And I want to challenge you this morning, a very simple challenge. How are you doing with your money and your resources? Are you storing up uh, treasures here on earth where, where moth and rust will destroy? Or are you sending things ahead where moth and rust cannot destroy? You know, I think sometimes, too, we, we, we get a picture of what, the, what heaven will be like, what our eternal existence will be like. We look at this world and we forget what God has in store for us, right? Stephen King, I saw this in the news this week. Stephen King said heaven's going to be boring. Who wants to lounge around, just kind of sit around and sing forever? Oh, Stephen King, for as wonderful and as many millions of copies you sold of these books, these fiction books, right? People love him. But listen, he has no idea what the Bible says about heaven. And unfortunately, that's what so many people think. There is so much at stake with how we handle our finances, friends. Be not mistaken. So I challenge you this morning to be a joyful giver. Give out of sacrifice. You will never be disappointed. Lord, I ask that you would, Lord, you do something inside of our hearts when it comes to our resources and our finances. Lord, I ask that we'd even challenge each other. I ask that those that we're close with, those that we're really bonded, connected with, that we would challenge each other and ask, how are you doing in terms of stewardship? That we wouldn't lay back and say, that's that's a, a topic I can't really discuss. That we would look at it and say, no, there's so much at stake. Challenge us, Lord. Change us from the inside out. In your name, amen. Pass those around. Some announcements. Steve, it is that time. It is that time. I think we are a week late, Pastor. We didn't get to do it last week, but... Well, then that means that this week... (laughs) Yeah. We're going to honor all you September babies. Everyone but Lee, who was born in September, stand to your feet this morning. We want to see you. Ah, there they are. Whoa, look what Melody has here. Is that real? There she is. Woo! And to all you September babies, you also, um, not you, Lee, Louise, you're included in this one. We want to say... A happy birthday to you, a happy birthday to you. May we find Jesus near every day of the year. Happy birthday to you, a happy birthday to you. And the best year you ever had. Yeah. Try the cake, Steve. What do you think? Try the Is that cake. real, Pastor? Is that real? Looks oh, fake. it looks real. That will be, be enjoyed after the service, by the way, for all yeah, of you who are not counting help. calories. Hill House sign up. Some announcements. If you are not presently in a Hill House and would like to be, there's a sign up sheet in the lobby. You will be contacted later in the month. Uh, you won't, you, listen, you don't want to miss out on being part of uh, the, the Hill House. Is a wonderful testimony after testimony of people that have been touched by God, touched by others. So please join if you haven't yet. Wednesday, we have soaking prayer at 645. That will be here. Thursday, we have No Ignite. It will kick off. Bob, when is the kickoff again? After next Sunday. Sunday. Okay. Following week. And then finally, we have an outreach feeding. Yeah. An outreach feeding. 8 o'clock this Saturday. As usual, the biggest demand is for drivers. 
So if you're somebody that can drive, we would love to have you come down this uh, Saturday. After the service, we will have prayer, as always, and the cafe will be outside, weather permitting. I know there's some little inclement weather in the forecast, maybe some sprinkles here or there, but hopefully they hold off. Without any further ado, Kidmo teachers. I know Suzanne is in the back, charged, ready to go. All right, texting me this. She is. She's pumped. Bridget and John, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention them. Where, I, I, as I came in, we ran into each other. Where are they? Bridget and John? Oh, there you are. Uh, we'd like to welcome Amaya. They had a baby girl recently, not too long ago. Welcome Amaya to the family. If you haven't gotten a chance to, to meet them, please do at some point. How are we doing? Parents, first week back at school. How do we do, kids? Younger, you know, middle school, high school kids? You don't look too happy. <laughs> Am I the only happy one? School started. Back in the groove, get back in the routine. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. We're starting a new series. And uh, that you see the title, Take This Job and Love It. You like that title? Always trying to work with different titles. And I'm, I always text Megan. I'm texting Tom. And I'm like, what do you think? And Tom's a... Tom's going to be a part of this, and he said, I like that one. I'm like, me too. Let's go with it. So we're going to be talking about work. Some of you are like, really? That's the last thing I came to church to talk about. And let me throw it out here, a book that was very formative in this series for both of us, Tim Keller, not a shocker. Uh, The name of the book is Every Good Endeavor. It's a fabulous book on the topic. Some things, a couple of quotes here and there, Tom and I will bring out and share with you, uh, but I, again, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't share, tell you to read that book. Well, I want to start with a little question, a couple of questions. First of all, how many of you remember the first job you ever had? How many of you remember that first job, first time you got hired, you were going to collect a paycheck? It's interesting that uh, my parents, Pastor Joe and Linda, are not here this morning. My dad got me my first job when I was in eighth grade. It was at a garden center. No, it was not with Chris, all right? If you want, it was not with Chris, okay? I was at a garden, right? So I see some of your faces. You're going, is that? No, it wasn't at Chris's nursery. At a nursery, I go there. I don't know anything about gardening, right? My dad's a gardener outside. I don't know anything. Clueless, totally clueless. I've said it to you so many times before, not really a handy person. So I go there, and the guy gives me a couple of tasks to, you know, take care of, and I complete them. And then he's, like, kind of gone for a while. Now, I'm in eighth grade. Right, so I'm in middle school. He happens to tell me that there's a that he has a golf cart here, and that at times, you know, I'm going to have to use this. Again, I'm in eighth grade. There is a golf cart. I will work for free at this point. You don't have to pay me, pal. Right? There's a golf cart. So he left. True story. There I am. Right? I had nothing to do. Didn't you know? I completed all the tasks. There I'm. I set up an obstacle course at the nursery. What would any boy do? Right? The only problem is I crashed the golf cart during the obstacle maneuvering through the obstacle course. 
the guy came back later on and was like, what happened to the golf cart? It was like a little, I'm like, oh, just, you know, I don't know. I was like kind of, well, I lied. What, what am I supposed to do? I was like, I was just kind of moving some stuff and I accidentally hit something over here. Needless to say, I was, I worked at the nursery for one day, one day. My dad's like, what were you doing? I said, I don't know. There was a golf cart. The guy left. It looked like fun. How many of you would have taken the golf cart out for a spin? Oh, I feel so much better now. Now I can go on. I wouldn't have been able to complete the sermon if some of you said that you wouldn't have taken the golf cart for a spin. How many of you, next question, how many of you had a job that you didn't like? Some of you are like, right now I have a job I don't like, right? Everybody in here, you've had some job at some point in your life where you didn't like it. Well, researchers at the University of Michigan recently found the single most important factor in overall well-being is none other than job satisfaction. John Maxwell, a Christian author, said, wrote about this. He said, outside of your genetics, job satisfaction is the number one predictor of how long you will live. How many of you right now are worried you're going to die on the spot? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, am I still alive right now? <laughs> but it's so true, and I think there's an epidemic in our culture. According to a recent New York Times article, 25% of all Americans are chronically angry at their jobs. Chronically, that means every single day. They're upset. One out of four workers. When I think of the post office up there, right? That's a scary thought. When I think about people that are disgruntled and they go to work and you know some of those people, some of the people you work with, maybe you're one of them. People that are disgruntled every single day, right? 25%. That's pretty high. The article went on to say two out of every three managers suffer from an ill fit. They're ill-suited for their profession. Some of you work for them. Again, some of you are them. What do we do with things like this, stats like this? They're kind of staggering. Tony Schwartz, uh, another different New York Times article, look what he said. I thought this is really, it says a lot, captures a lot about American culture. Only 30% of employees in America feel engaged at work. Only 30. That means 7 out of 10 people have kind of checked out. Around the world, across 142 countries, the proportion of employees who feel engaged at work is just 13%. Wow. For most of us, in short, work is a depleting, dispiriting experience, and in some obvious ways, it's getting worse. So if you weren't depressed when I first mentioned the topic, how many of you feel a little more depressed now? We have a crisis in our culture. Most wage earners spend 40 hours doing something they don't like. No wonder people float to happy hour every single day. Are you surprised that people float to happy hour? You shouldn't be. There is a problem in our culture that most people don't like what they do, and we as Christians, there are many of us that can be put in the same category. Right? I'm preaching already if you haven't realized that. Okay. Going back to work, and this is where Tom said to me, he's like, man, you have such a leg up in this series. I love the fact that this isn't my sole job. I said to you earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm a high school history teacher, so I have two jobs. So the wonderful thing is, you can't look at me and say, hey, pastor, you don't know what it's like in the real world. Yes, I do know what it's like in the real world. I know what it's like to have a job. I, listen, as a teacher, APPR, right? Parents, Common Core. Not the easiest time to be a teacher in New York State. 
Listen, I understand pressure, I understand stress, I understand timelines, different things that we have to get done. I get all of that. So that's what makes it neat. And going back to work this past week, it was wild. Just getting in casual conversations with people, and some of you know, it doesn't have to be education, it could be anything. And I'm talking to two different people. One guy, he's like, hey, Craig, what's going on? How was your summer? Yeah, well, it was all right. Yeah, it was okay, right, yeah. And he, I got seven years left. And he's like, talking. Oh, I, I didn't ask if you had seven years left. I don't care if you have five years left. I don't care if you have 10 years. The guy has seven years left. So I said to him, I said, hey, pal, so, so you're seven years. Like, he's done. The guy's fried, done, doesn't want to do what he's doing anymore. And talking to him, I'm like, this is like a death sentence. Excuse me, a death sentence to this guy. This guy's like doing this, doesn't want to do it. I said, you're going to go on for seven years doing something you, you absolutely hate? How many of you know people like that? There is a problem in our culture if we as people are just looking to the day we can retire. There's a problem. And if you, that's you this morning, listen, I hope this series really resonates with you because there's a huge problem. And another guy had another conversation, same thing. I don't really like what I did. And this guy's not, this is a guy I saw at the gym and just started talking about life. And the guy's talking about how miserable he is in his job. And I said, man, that is so many people that just absolutely hate where they are. People were asked, they were asked the number one reason why they work. Guess what it was? Money, obviously. And you're going to say to me, hey, you live in the real world, you have to pay bills, right? How many of you have bills? You have the mortgage, you have to, the heat, the electricity, all these things. I get that. Reminds me of a bumper sticker, though. I owe, I owe, I owe, off to work I go, right? And that's the thing. In our world, we want to accumulate enough so that one day we can retire. I hope I have enough money in my 401k. I hope I have enough for retirement so, you know, down the road, then I can really enjoy life. But what about now? What about the here and now, 25, 30 years, 10 years, 15 years? Really? You're just going to go through the daily routine, tediousness and monotony? Energy sapping sameness, walls painted gray with monotony, right? Doing the same thing day in and day out. This is an epidemic in our culture, and it's not talked a lot about in churches. Go look online. You're not going to see many sermon series about work but it's important for us to discuss. You know, Tim Keller in his book, he said it this way. He said, according to the Bible, we don't merely need the money from work to survive. We need the work itself to survive and live fully human lives. How about you take that quote and put it on your fridge? How about you take that quote and you put it on your desk at the office or put it on your dashboard in your car when you're going to work this week? Dorothy Sayers, I don't know how many of you know that name. Uh, she was a good friend of C.S. Lewis, 1950s. She said this, and this is, I mean, this is money. What is the Christian understanding of work? It is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. So many people work to live, and so precious few live to work. Have I defined our culture enough for you? Have I given you enough background? Have I given you enough evidence that this is an epidemic in our culture? Do you remember when you were young and somebody asked you, what do you want to be when you get older? Do you remember those days? Or is that too far, is that too long ago? You remember when you'd say, you looked like bright-eyed and you were so excited, I want to be a, I don't know, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, God help us, we, we don't need any more lawyers. 
right? Did you get that? That was for you. It was my brother, right? Eric, that wasn't for you. Um, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a police officer. So I had Jameson in the car this week. I didn't give you the full story. So talking to Jameson, out of nowhere, he's like, Dad, I want to be a fire. I want to be a police officer. I'm like, wow, nobody in my family is a police officer. So I just thought it was really interesting, right? So then, of course, I had to play around with this. What do you think I said? I quipped back and said, you don't want to be a pastor when you get older? You don't want to be a preacher? And the kid looks at me, and he's like, no. Like, I'm not kidding you. He's on his phone, and he was just gave me that emphatic no. And I said, yeah, that's what I said when I was your age. Let's see what God has in store for you. But really, what went wrong between the time that you were young and now? You all remember the movie City Slickers with Billy Crystal, right? When he goes into the class and he tells the, kid, enjoy, tells the kids, enjoy this time now as you get older. And he defines life and he talks about what's going to happen in your 30s, your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And the kids are like sitting there by the end. They're like, really? But come on, isn't that, I think that's how most people look at life. That you, you can expect certain things. Just get through work. Just get through work. Look for the next vacation. Get your calendar out and get to the next vacation. I teach with somebody. She marks off every single day of the year. Counts down from the beginning of the year to the last school day of the year. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. I hope none of you do that with like vacations. You count down. We've got 157 days until the next vacation. I can tell by your response that some of you do. Um, here's another theological question for you. So, what do you think God does all day? What does God do all day? Do you ever think about it? I'm sure many of you have thought about this before. I mean, for us, when you're on an extended vacation, you have unlimited time. You say, what will I do today? Right? You've been on last, think about it. Last time you're on a vacation, what am I going to do today? I have to kill time. What is it that God does all day? Does he have any hobbies? Does he watch the angels? They have sack races up in heaven? I don't know. Does God be watching football today? Does he, love, he obviously loves football, right? Has to love football. There has to be football in heaven. Has to be fantasy football in heaven. What does Till really? What does he do I, all day? One scholar said, you know what? Let me tell you what God does. God is preeminently a worker. God works. And you go back to the creation story. You look at the beginning in Genesis, and it says, God created the heavens and the earth. He separated light from darkness, the, ground, the sky from the ground. He does all these things. He works. And at the end, what did he do? Does it say God retired? Does it say, does it say, in, the, does it say in the creation account that God retired? Does it say anything? Thank me, it's Friday. It doesn't say anything like that. The Bible doesn't say that. God has, you like that, God has not stopped working after the sixth day, he didn't retire, and the universe is not run by mechanical necessity, and let me give you a couple of scriptures to back that up. Let me show you what God does on a daily basis. Psalm 104, 10 through 14. He makes springs pour water into ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. 
Oh, isn't that a wonderful passage, a description? You look in the Bible, God is described as a gardener. God is described as an artist that works with clay. He's described as a shepherd, a homemaker looking for a, searching for a lost coin. God is preeminently a worker. You can't wait to change my life when I read Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. You should read that at some point. Every couple of years, Tom and I, it's one of our favorites. We always talk about that piece when he talks about God. You, you can't understand God until you understand he is the happiest being in the universe. You can't understand that. And you think of kids. If you don't have kids, you see kids, right? They exult in monotony, Chesterton says. They exult in monotony. Do it again. Do it again. Every single day I see a sunrise. Every single day I see a sunset. Something beautiful in nature. I think of God. Do it again. God wakes up and he, he exults in everything that is out there in nature. He exults when, when the, he sees the mountains and water fills the chambers and, and, and grass grows. He exults in all of that. It also says, here's another passage in Psalm 19. God has stretched the heavens like a pavilion for the sun. I love that. And the sun comes forth like a strong man who rejoices to run the race. God is like a champion. The psalmist is describing God as a champion. Somebody that runs the race, that gives it all he has every single day, every single day, every sunrise is different. He exults in this, and he looks out there, and he's looking to us, and he's saying, look, I am preeminently a worker. Work was created to be something good in our lives. How many of us know, right? I'm kind of digressing a little bit, but it's gotten twisted. J.R. Tolkien once said, the devil, the enemy, cannot create anything in and of itself. All he can do is take what God has created and twisted it. Now work is something that people's, it's, it's an addiction. People overwork. Come on, I suffer from that at times. How many people you, can, you also can relate to that? Absolutely, something that was created to be good in our world is now something people look at and say, I have to have this, and whatever, it's your identity, it's finding success, getting more money, whatever it is, it has been twisted by the enemy, and he's quite insidious the way he works. Quite sneaky. You go back to the creation story when you look in Genesis. And I'm going to put up one of the passages in a second in Genesis 2. But there is an important assumption about the Christian teaching of work that I think we should know. Did you know in the Greco-Roman world, in the ancient world, work with your, your hands was looked at as demeaning? Demeaning. You, you were somebody that you were digging ditches. You were a carpenter. That was looked at as demeaning work. Because the material world was looked at as bad. The spirit was good, but the material world was bad. It was more ennobling for you to, to, you know, I don't know, delve into poetry and philosophy, things that involved your mind. Look at any other, look at every other religion in the world. Give me another God that is preeminently a worker. A worker. You won't find one. And you see it here in Genesis 2, 7, and 8. Look at this. Look what it says. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Do you see that? God as a worker, as a gardener, is planting a garden. God is the one that is putting his hands in the dirt, in the clay, and he is creating things. The chaos that existed, he's creating order out of chaos. We are made in his image. We are image bearers. 
Thus, we are supposed to be creating order out of chaos in whatever we do. Listen to me, friends. Whatever we do in this world, we are to be creating order out of chaos. And what does that mean? And listen, whatever you do, the top level of that means if you're a shoemaker, if you're somebody that digs ditches, it means that there is, there is value to every single job that exists out there. Because you, as somebody that is in that job, you say, I, look at this job. This isn't a big job. I don't care if you're white collar, blue collar, pink collar. Your job has real meaning. It has real value. Work in the word, words of Dallas Willard is the creation of value. There is real value in that. I don't care what you do. The culture out there will tell you, you have to have this job or that job. You have to make this amount of money or you are not successful. Where can you find real meaning in that kind of job? You dig ditches? Really? You can find meaning in that? Oh, the Bible doesn't say that. It says the exact opposite. And this is pretty wild. When you think about it, gardening, in terms of the creation story, it's a paradigm for work. Adam was the representative of the whole human race. The whole human race. Can I paraphrase what C.S. Lewis once said? I didn't put it up on the screen. C.S. Lewis once said that work really is rearranging raw material in any domain. Think about any job. I'll go slow. Rearranging raw material in any domain, pulling out its potential for the flourishing of society. I'm going to say it again. All right. C.S. Lewis said, I only got one. It's my brother because he loves me and he's probably just trying to encourage me. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Even if you don't want it, you're getting it. It's the rearranging of raw material in any domain pulling out its potential for the flourishing of all society. Really? really? You want something better than that? Good luck. Go find it. That's what it is. You want examples of that? Let me give you one. How about music? What is music? Right? Sound is a a part of our, our material world, is it not? Music is... When artists, like Terry was here last week, the music team, they're taking sound, something that we all experience in this world, and they're creating meaning out of it. You follow me? What is story? A poet? A writer? They're taking experiences that are common, that all of us encounter in this world, they're creating meaning out of them. What is architecture? Architecture is looking at stone in the ground, looking at ore in the ground, and saying, I will create something out of that. I was blown away when we were in Israel this past summer, and I saw all of the uh, intricate stonework. By the way, let me just throw this out there. We always talk about Jesus as being the carpenter. He worked more with stone than he did with wood. Did you know that? All right, a, lot of, a misnomer is that he, he worked much more with stone. And when you go, right, you go to Israel, you see it right there firsthand. Stone is everywhere. Not like that changes your life, but I just thought I would tell you that. So that's, in essence, what we're doing when we're rearranging. We're, we're meant to be creative. We're meant to take, it doesn't matter if you're an investment banker, a gardener, as we mentioned before, if you're a teacher, doctor, it doesn't, whatever your job is, you're a secretary, I don't care what it is, your job is to create order out of chaos for the flourishing of society. For all of society, there is worth in whatever you do. It doesn't matter. And unfortunately, again, 
we don't see that. We don't look at work as being a real gift, do we? We look at work and say, what an amazing gift God gave us. That's why I'm here this morning. That's why we're starting this series so we can look at that. And again, it doesn't matter even if you're getting a paycheck. You're not getting a paycheck. Maybe you're somebody, you know, this is a tough time for you right now because you got laid off. You're not at work. You want to get a job and you're looking around and this is a really difficult time. I get that. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Were you waiting for me? Is this guy going to talk about motherhood, right? Which research says is the equivalent of having two full-time jobs. As a father, I say amen to that. Anytime I'd been home a couple of weeks ago, Megan was out with friends and I was there. And you just try to survive, right guys? You try to survive a weekend. Man, TV gets burned out, man. I'm kidding. I didn't show them a lot of TV. You know what I mean. So work is, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You have to understand that, listen, this is what God intended for us. And it's gotten a little twisted, but it's, work is, again, the creation of value. Uh, John Ortberg talked about it in one of his books. He said, how come there are some, there's no direct correlation between like, the meaning of what we do and any sense of real significance? And he, called, he said, you know what we're missing? The nobility of service. The nobility of service. How noble it is to serve other people, no matter what it is. Did you know in the Bible, after it lists people's names, why do you think it lists their professions? It tells us that James and John and Andrew and Peter, they're fishermen. It talks about, uh, you know, uh, shepherds. It talks about gardeners. It talks about parents. I mean, the list goes on and on. It tells us what people did. It tells us what their profession is because God thinks it's very important. No, it's important for us, wants us to know how important it is what we do on a daily basis. It matters. It has meaning. And we can be agents of change in this world. Henry Cloud wrote a book a couple of years ago, another book I would highly recommend, and uh, he's just amazing. You listen to him sometimes, and uh, like my mouth is just like wide open. I'm like, how does he have this knowledge? And under- I mean, he has a theology degree and a psychology degree. I mean, he's just incredible. If you've never listened to him, read him, please do. You know, Pastor Linda introduced him to us many years ago, and he wrote a book. It's called The Courage to, de- uh, to Meet the Demands of Reality, and he defines whether or not people will succeed in the workplace. And he had a wonderful illustration in his book that I wanted to share with you. How many of you are boat people? From the la- like, you, you like the water? You have a boat? Anybody? All right, some of you have a boat. What is my father-in-law, what does he always say? Two best days, you get a boat, right? The day you buy it and the day you sell it, right? Where is he? Had to, there he is, had, right? Had to throw that in there for you. I learned that uh, 10 years, over 10 years ago. Changed my life, right? <laughs> So he gives a wonderful illustration about boating. And he says, any, you look at a boat, any time a boat is traveling in the water, right, what does that boat create? It creates a wake. So you look, but there is a wake that is on two sides. There's not a wake that's on, it's on two sides. And he said, it's akin to, when you look at work, a boat that is going through the water and creating that wake, it's the same exact thing for us in the workplace, that there is a relational side of the wake, right, relational, and then there is a task side. So the task side is all the things that need to be done on a daily basis. You have deadlines to meet. You have to be at work on time. You have to dress properly, be professional, all that, all that jazz. Then there's the relational side. How are you doing in terms of dealing with customers, dealing with your colleagues on a daily basis? How are we doing? Every single day, 
we are leaving awake every day. It's kind of scary, right? It's a little scary. But it needs to be said because, listen, we have pressure. There are, there are demands on us. We have family pressure. We have work pressure. It doesn't mean, though, that we could go into work and say and treat people like just cavalierly or just too casual. No, we're leaving awake every single day. And as Christians, we can be real agents of change. We're working. God has made it. So we work alongside people, shoulder to shoulder with people. When you go to work tomorrow, I won't be in work tomorrow, but some of you will. When you go to work tomorrow, right? And you see some of your colleagues, people that you work with, if you do work with other people, did you ever think about they have family problems, they have stress, and you say, man, I'm in a job, I don't want to be here, this is a job mismatch. We're going to get into that in the series. How to survive a job mismatch. Anybody want to hear about that? Nobody does. Okay, we're going to tell you anyway. But really, when you think about it, Every single person you come in contact with, they have issues. They have problems. I don't care if you say, I don't really work with them. You have customers then. You own a business. You deal with people every single day. You are leaving a wake. And whatever happens in your workplace, you're leaving a wake. Can I give you, and I don't usually share stories like this. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I don't, I feel like I don't do this much. But I had a situation. It was like, really, God? I'm like, there are no coincidences. So it's, it's lunch, and I have this, this, these two boys that come in my class every day. They know I have lunch. They fly in. And I had the one kid in my sociology class last year. And so you teachers know this. Like you, sometimes, you have no idea how you impact kids, right? See, some of you like, not. Nah, you have no clue. You think like it's a kid, like, did the kid even like my class? Did they not like it? You'd have no idea, right? So the kid walks in, and he just starts talking to me. And Again, I had no idea, no, not a clue. He starts talking to me about my life, and he's, I'm like, how does this kid know? Well, you, so you're a, you're a preacher, right, Mr. Lecce, too? And I'm like, oh, here we go, right? So we're going to have a long conversation right now. I've never, I don't really talk much about it publicly in class, but I'm at the point now privately. Kids ask me, I'm like, let's go. So we have this conversation, we start talking. And he, he goes on to say, you know what? I have some family that are Christians. I listen to your podcast, and I'm like, podcast? I'm like, what? Like, so I don't, at some point, the kid may listen. I'm not giving his name, obviously, nor would you care. But so we're talking, and the kid's saying to me, I have some Christian relatives that, like, they kind of judge me all the time. And I had you as a teacher, and when I found out that you were a preacher and you studied theology and that you do this too, I said, I, I want to be, be like you. This kid's telling me in front of this other kid. And I'm, like, sitting there, and I'm like, all right, well, how am I supposed to take this? What am I supposed to do? And it went on, and he said, do you mind if I come in here and I ask you a lot of questions from time to time? And I said to myself, man, of course not. That's what it's all about. The kid left and I literally started crying in the classroom because I said, God, how blessed I am to be in an environment like this. I always, I haven't done the right thing all the time. In a, there are things, people's lives I could have touched in a deeper way. I've made mistakes time and time again. But man, I want to get it right. I want to move forward. I want to get it right. I want to be an agent of change. I want to be somebody that transforms where I work. And I sit there and I pray every single day over my desks. I pray over those kids. And at times I get to talk about stuff and get into really interesting philosophical conversations. And you may say, yeah, you're a teacher and it's obvious that you love what you do. And I'm saying to you, all work has meaning. All work has value. Whatever you do, you can be salt and you can be light. So don't come up to me after the meeting and say you can. I don't care what you are. You can create value. We need to have that attitude to take it serious when we're in work that people are watching us. Most of my colleagues know I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, 
they're probably, they're, they're dying, waiting for me to do something, say something, right, so they can point it out. Oh, there's the Christian. There's the hypocrite. Even though I don't go around, I don't, I, I don't tell people what to do. I try to be a normal Christian in a school. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Oh, what was I getting at? Why did I get into that story? It wasn't really, yeah, okay. Anyway, how many of you, as, as we move towards closing, how many of you, Henry Cloud said this in the book, and I said, wow, that's, that's such a powerful question. How many of you are contributing with your labor something that transcends your labor? Let me say it again. How many of you are contributing with your labor something that transcends your labor? What if you were just taken out of your job? Some of you are like, that's my dream. That's what I want. But how many of you, tomorrow, if you weren't in work, and I'm not talking about the task side of things, how many of you, if you were taken out of your job, you were not there anymore, you would leave a, a, a I mean, there'd, there'd be a huge gap there. There'd be something that's missing, a huge void that would be missing in the workplace, that it would be hard to replace you because you are a person, you do things that transcend your labor. You are an agent of change. You have those conversations with people. You are salt and light. And people look at it and say, man, if, if, if Joe or Susie, if they weren't here, this place would be totally different. How many of us are really transcending our labor? I told you, that's my thing. When I go and work, I want to transcend what I do. I'm not just about teaching American history and sociology. I want to touch lives. And I hope you do too. Whatever it is, whomever you come in contact with, that's what we're called to do at the workplace. Touch lives. This should be exciting stuff. Years from now, 10 years, 15, 20 years from now, even 100 years from now, is there something that's going to transcend your labor at your job? Come on, what's going to transcend your labor? If you say, man, there isn't much right now, guess what? You have time. You have so much time. Maybe this is a wake-up call. You say, you know what? I'm going to work tomorrow. I realize I can be somebody that makes a difference where I am. I can make a difference wherever I am. I can be somebody that influences the lives of other people. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you do that in me. Pray that prayer. Pray a dangerous prayer as you walk into work tomorrow and see what God does. Put him to the test. Be radical. We're made to be difference makers. And I know some of your working environments, it can be spiritually depressing. And there's a lot, how many of you, you deal with a lot of negativity? I do too. Come on, I deal with negativity at work. Maybe that's why God has you there. Maybe you're supposed to be the light. Maybe you're the one that's supposed to bring a positive, help bring out a positive environment in there. Come on. I love what it says in Colossians. I want you to remember this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Let me say that again. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. I have a boss at work. And you know what? I, listen, I love my boss. and he, uh, he, Whatever he says really goes. You can have conversations, but I'll run through walls for him. I love the guy. Kind of lets me, you know, he's like, hey, look, you do a good job in the classroom, I'm going to leave you alone. I'm going to let you do your thing. But understand, whether you flip burgers at McDonald's, whether you're in an office as a clerk, a secretary, whether or not you're bouncing babies at a daycare, you understand something, that you're working for Jesus Christ. You work in Jesus' name. You are somebody that works for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You get up and say, I don't want to go to work today. You say to yourself, you know what? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm working for the paycheck, but I'm really working for Jesus Christ, who is my boss. 
Because one day we will be recompensed. We will have to answer for how we, our attitude at work. Can I leave you with a story? One of my favorite stories, on June 8th, 2009, at the age of 95 years old, you can see a picture, uh, a woman by the name of Emma Daniel Gray passed away. On the office records, you know what it said her title was? Charwoman. Charwoman is just somebody that like is a cleaner, works in you know, buildings, cleans things. Well, you see a picture up there. It was the only one I could find of her with a president. She worked for six U.S. presidents. Six presidents. Imagine the story she could probably tell. She could have told. So she worked for six presidents. That's what her title was. She was a cleaner. This little simple woman, why would the Washington Post have a story about her? For 24 years, she's a charwoman for six different presidents. Wow. But you want to know what that woman did every single day? And why I have that picture of the Oval Office? Because there was a woman every single day that would pray over the president's chair in the Oval Office. She would dust the whole desk. She would dust his chair. And she would pray that God would give him wisdom and guidance on how to run the country. And you say, she's a simple woman. What, what, what did she do? What outcome did she have? How did she change the world? And I would say, one day we'll find out how this little woman changed the world and how many disasters were averted because there was a little woman in the White House praying over the Oval Office. Oh, I didn't come here to play games. And I'm here to tell you again, I don't care what your job is. Don't you walk out of this place saying your job doesn't matter. Your job matters. Big time it matters. The world would say, really, this little woman? She impacted six U.S. presidents. What are you doing at your job? How are you influencing people? What is your attitude when you go in the workplace? Oh, it's not a day to mess around. Time is short. I mean, come on. If you don't see that with the world, I was in the Middle East. I've never felt the tension like I felt then. You can ask the other people that were there. Time is running short. It's time for us to do serious business. And in one way we can do serious business is how we look at our jobs. Yes, you have to get a paycheck. Yes, bills have to be paid. But there's much more at stake. There are lives out there that need to be touched. And who's going to touch them? You are tomorrow. I am when I go back to work. We are as a church, a little community. We can be the people that make change. We can be the ones that affect change. Stop waiting for somebody else to do it. Stop saying you're not important. You have no gifts. You can start conversations. You can, so many people are selfish. Selfish. So self-absorbed. How about being a little selfless and looking around at work this week and saying, how can I serve somebody else? Remember what work is, the rearranging of raw material, pulling out its potential for the flourishing of society. As we come to this table, I would ask that you be an agent of change and you would be somebody that takes work seriously. And you would look at it and say, I realize in that domain that I'm in, I'm going to pull out that potential and help be somebody that brings about transformation in my office, whether I'm a cop a teacher, a lawyer, a secretary, a dig ditcher, whatever it is you do, I don't care. I know it has meaning. And if you haven't had the right attitude, that's what this table is all about. You bring it to the one that hears all, sees all, understands all, and took everything to the cross. You take it to the one that you're really working for. I ask that you come up here when you take the elements and you say, Lord, you are my boss. 
Lord, I ask that you put me in conversations with people and I can be somebody that is salt and light. Help me to find ways where I can minister to others. Lord, make that happen. Make that come to fruition and give me the right attitude. I want to be energized. I want to be passionate. Again, if you're not, if you're somebody, right, I've said it. If you're somebody, you really don't, this may be a job you're not supposed to be in for a long period of time. I get that. But maybe God is waiting to see what your attitude is all about and how you're going to handle this job before he gives you another job. Right? So, Lord, Father, I thank you first and foremost that you indeed are the creator. Oh, Lord, you created everything. I thank you, Lord, that you got your hands dirty in the beginning of the story, in the middle of the story when your son went to the cross and the end of the story when you right every wrong. Things are not how they were. Things are not how they will be, but one day they will be. One day you will set everything right. One day every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, everyone will say and declare that you are Lord. Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Father, I ask that your son would be glorified in the workplace, in the marketplace, wherever we are. May we take it seriously where you have placed us, where you have put us. If it's, if it's a dead end or it's not the place we're supposed to be, give us passion. Give us passion to see that we're serving you. Help us to see what's at stake in our eternal lives. Help us to see when we look into the face of another how important it is to see somebody that's upset, distraught. May we see that and want to minister to them. Amen. You know, I, I can I give you one more little thing? I just thought of it as I was praying. I just need to share it. But Henry Cloud, and I was listening to him talk. He was getting interviewed. And he was talking about the workplace. And he was talking about how we come in contact with people. So many times we're selfish and we don't really um, look and see that... The, there's real pain there. And he said, how interesting is it? Did you ever think that, or look at it and go, why did God put our tear ducts in our eyes? He never once thought of this. He said, he could have put them in our armpits, right? And you spray something, like, you know, no one would ever see it. God put our tear ducts in our eyes so that we would see the pain that others are going through and that we would be able to, able to minister to them. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it really it meant a lot to me when I heard him say it. May you not forget that when you go to work this week in this entire series. By the way, in two weeks, I'll be, I'm, I'm compiling a list right now. I want to have a panel in two weeks. And I put together some questions, and I want to, I, I think it'll resonate with us. I want to have people up here, so you're not just listening to me. You get to hear from other people in the congregation. And I want to get a broad range of people, and I want to ask you, how are you salt and light in the workplace? So if you get a phone call Joanne, one of us on staff, uh, an email or whatever, I hope you're willing. And I think, you, how many of you would be excited to, to have a service like that? It'd be kind of neat, right? So, you know, and we've talked about it numerous times. We, I love the format, that kind of format. But you do the work. You do some of the heavy lifting. I mean, I've, I'll create some of the questions, and I'd love to talk with you about this, but it'd be great to hear other people and where they're at. Right. So, ushers, I'll, I'll stop now. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.